Hi, my name is Michael Frank, and this is the Prefab Pod presented by Prefab Review, where we interview leading people and companies in the prefab housing industry. Today, we're speaking with Alan Gibson, the founder of GoLogic and the Go Home, or sorry, the founder of GeoLogic and the Go Home, and Lily Peel, um, a project manager with uh, GeoLogic. Welcome, Alan and Lily. Hi there. Hi. Um, apologies for the uh, the name slip up. Uh, we we've had an, we have people. Uh, inquire about your company on our site all the time. I think they usually call it uh, um, GoLogic, so I'm probably not the first person who's messed that up. Uh, anyway, um, we're very excited to uh, learn more about your company. But first, I was hoping to learn a, a bit more about both of you. I guess maybe, yeah, Alan, you can start um, since you sort of founded the business. How did you get into this uh, this world and uh, end up starting GoLogic? Well, I have been a carpenter basically since I got out of college. I'm a, I'm a history major, so I don't have any technical or architecture background, but I've been building houses for a long time. And I was always interested in energy performance and being at the cutting edge of uh, high performance buildings. And, you know, through the 90s and early 2000s, there wasn't a whole lot of call for that. But then in 2006, um, uh, a colleague, friend and I, uh, saw a the first presentation of Passive House, the German high-performance energy standard at a conference in Boston, and we were totally hooked. We were like, this is it. This is what we're going to do. And we founded Geologic a couple years later with that sole purpose to design and build single-family, um, really nice-looking, contemporary, for the most part, homes and have them all be meeting the passive house standard for energy performance. So that's how uh, my former business partner, Matt O'Malley, who's an architect, and I got together to found the company. Got it. And Lily, how did, how, how did you get in, involved with uh, Geologic? Um, well, let's see. I, um, I, I live in a Geologic house um, and in Belfast. Uh, and I was doing, I mean, I, I, um, I've known Alan and his wife, Sana for a bunch of years. And I actually was doing, um, some portraiture and some photography for geologic, um, and they needed a project manager and I also have a background in project management. So I stepped in last September. Terrific. Uh, okay. So can one of you explain to me a little bit about, uh, basically what, what's the core thing you do, um, at Geologic, and I know we get questions about Geologic, but also uh, the go home or go home. Uh, can you sort of explain the different parts of your business and what what sort of you really sort of emphasize? Sure. Uh, the core of our business is a design and build company. So we focus on single family residential, although, although we have done some multifamily projects and would love to do more of that. And we've done some institutional work as well, but we have an office staff, which is composed of designers, licensed architects, and the project managers. And then we have a field staff of about 15 builders who build primarily work that we design, although we also sometimes build work that others have designed. The, and that's, we're general contractors, 
mm-hmm. uh, anywhere in sort of the mid coast of Maine from south of Portland to uh, up through, you know, to Bar Harbor, basically, if you know the coast of Maine. Um, and we also developed along the way, after we had done a few houses, we made some of them into pre-designed models. So they are what you see on the go home. And the go home is one branch of geologic. Um, we do a lot of different things, but the go home is sort of our bread and butter where we have these pre-designed models uh, that you can see on our website. And there are several of them to choose from basically anything from 600 square feet to 2,500 square feet in about 100 to 200 square foot increments, uh, single story and two story. And you can configure the homes to a large degree on the website. And then you contact us and we do design process. And we eventually have a complete set of drawings to your house, which we will build from start to finish in our normal range. Outside of that range, we will prefabricate and deliver and assemble a shell package that basically consists of walls, floors, and roof structure with the windows and doors installed. And that makes it much easier for builders around the Northeast to get a a high-performance passive home shell delivered so they don't have to figure all of that out. And then the local GC will finish the rest of the house out. So that's, in a nutshell, how the go-home works. That makes sense. So on the go-home, on the go uh, a couple sort of follow-up questions. I guess uh, initially, uh, so outside of uh, the sort of main area where you serve as the GC as well, do you end up having a builder network for that? Or for, for consumers, is it really like find your own builder, but then you, know, you, you provide whatever, the shell or the envelope or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I... I I'm working toward creating a builder network and I am starting to do that in some areas like the Hudson Valley of New York and Northwestern Massachusetts. Um, and we've worked with a couple of builders a couple of different times. And when we work with someone for the second time, it generally is a much smoother and easier process. So I would love to develop a builder network. Um, so if there are builders out there who are interested in, in this sort of uh, collaboration, then I'm happy to talk with them. So that's something we're working on. Cool. And then um, one of the things that we see with other companies, I think it's sort of, I don't know, it's, it's just, I don't know if I'd call it a joke, but it's sort of a truism for some companies in the industry is that um, when you have plans on their site, no one ever exactly builds the plans. And they're sort of, at least for some companies, they're kind of advertising. Do, do people, when in terms of uh, your experience with customers, do people end up actually building like the go homes as they appear on the site or does it end up being that those sort of end up being like sort of the inspiration points? That's an interesting question. I mean, everybody wants to make changes to our pre-designed models. You know, everyone is an architect to some degree and they want to customize things. And we try to encourage people not to do that because it affects the cost. And we're trying to do these at a reasonable cost and, you know, keep a lid on that. But, you know, it's somebody's dream home. And yeah, our the way we do things in America is you, well, for a certain segment of how people get homes is they hire an architect. And that means you have sort of 
full reign to design the house however you want. And we're offering something and trying to promote it as something that um, gives you this really nice, high quality home in the end, but without as much architect involvement and therefore less cost on that side of things. So we accommodate customizations and changes um, pretty routinely. And once we have that complete set of construction documents, people do build to those. Right. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. Um, and then let's talk about the sort of sort of construction, sort of fabrication side. So you do you own your own factory in Maine? We have a facility. Uh, I, I don't call it a factory because it's not highly mechanized and it's rather, rather small, but uh, our demand has been so great that I am looking to build a, a larger, more state-of-the-art facility in the next year or two. And yeah, we produce really high quality panels uh, one at a time with basic tools and some, um, some tools that are specifically for panelization. And I'm super excited about it. I just love the quality and the process of doing the panelized uh, system. So, so walk us through, I've never been to your factory. I've been to a lot of other uh, factories. Um, walk us through what, what your factory look like, looks like. Are we talking about essentially a huge warehouse where people like a team of, you know, sort of subs is building panels like they would on site? Or how, how, might, how might it be different? Well, yeah, it's interesting. Our space is not very big. And that's part of our challenge is we only have room for a couple of framing tables and some materials and some other tools. But basically, it's, um, you know, there's a cut station and lumber comes in. Um, the, uh, I guess the, the really interesting and different thing about prefabrication is that all of the decisions about how you build something have to happen before you make your first cut in the first two by six. So there's an extensive process where the, the architectural drawings are translated into shop drawings. And that's a whole other subject about how that's done. But basically there is software that translates a wall that you see on an architectural drawing into a, a, a framing drawing that shows where every stick of wood is going to go how long each one is, and any kind of structural detail about that. And that gets put on a piece of paper that goes out to the shop floor. And there's a cut list. And we have, um, we're getting a, an, a semi-automated saw. So it will make that cutting process quicker. The lumber goes to a table where a crew puts together the wall as, you know, similarly to how it would be done on site, except you're inside in a controlled environment with the material at a comfortable height and everything laid out for you and pre-cut. And our walls are complicated. They're, they're an, our, our typical wall designed for cold climates like the Northeast is an R50 wall. So do you use or what's, what kind of, do you use any kind of specific insulation method for that? Yeah, we use, uh, so our, our wall consists of a two by eight stud wall, and that will be insulated with blown in cellulose. And then working to the outside, we put a layer of sheathing on that, which is a structural sheathing, which is also the airtight layer. So we're connecting all those sheathing pieces with tape to make them airtight. And then we've, we've been using um, 
a product that we're importing from Europe, which is a rigid wood fiber board insulation. And we get that in about a six inch thickness. And that goes on as the next layer. So that's our continuous exterior insulation to eliminate thermal bridging through the frame. And then we put a layer of, of wood strapping over that. And then the siding material goes on. Cool. That's, that's great to kind of get some details on that. So that actually leads well into the next question. Um, and I guess it'd be great to sort of hear sort of on the technical side um, and sort of uh, theoretical side from Alan on this, and then also hear from Lily as sort of a consumer and an owner of a go home or go logic home. Uh, so passive house, uh, these the sort of, you know, increased insulation that you described, I, I assume is sort of part of achieving the passive house standard. Can you explain a little bit more about what the passive house standard is and why sort of you thought it was sort of crucial or important um, as sort of a part of your firm? Sure. Well, at its most basic level, it's pretty simple. The concept is just to build an enclosure that is extremely well insulated and made to be airtight. And because it's airtight, you have to put in a ventilation system so you can bring in fresh air so there is a ventilation system with heat recovery and that's pretty much it um you know you have to utilize the best building science practices and how you construct walls with more insulation because that gets trickier and you need to use better windows and doors um, we use triple glazed windows for instance um, and the passive house standard the whole idea is that you are reducing the heating and cooling load of the house by about 80 to 90% from standard construction. And what happens when you do that is a lot of amazing things. Living inside that house, it's like a completely different environment. And Lily can speak to this. It's incredibly quiet. The air is still, the air is fresh because you're bringing in fresh air continuously. There's very little noise. There's virtually, virtually no mechanical system other than the ventilation machine, which is very quiet and usually up in an attic or something. Um, and you're gaining this huge amount of energy savings in terms of cost for heating and cooling, but also the comfort and the quality and the durability comes along with it. And there are a lot of other things to say about it, but in a nutshell, that's kind of what Passivos is. It's not rocket science. The details of how you put it together are can be confounding to people who don't are not familiar with it but it's something that you know it should be the standard for all building there's no question about it and it doesn't really take a whole lot of more whole lot more um cost time effort to do it it's just kind of a different approach Got it. And then Lily, it'd be great to hear about your experience. I know you're involved uh, with the company as an employee, but also as a, uh, a consumer, why it was important to you and what your experience has been. Yeah. Um, so let's see, I've been in my house for about two years. Um, and I have to say, it's like, you can't, uh, once you, you live in one of these houses, you'll, you'll never want to live in another kind of house again. Um, and it's funny because I was just remembering what I used to, you know, understand or what I, what I thought when I first heard about passive houses a bunch, a bunch of years ago. And I just thought, well, 
isn't it, you know, my mother's Swedish and her mantra is, you know, fresh air, fresh air and exercise and sunshine. And I just thought, why would anybody want to live in a house that's, you know, sort of hermetically sealed, right? Like that was, that was what I understood as a, like this totally enclosed thing that's, yeah. And, um, and also, uh, you know, there was, there, there was a misunderstanding. I think there's still a misunderstanding about like you, you, you can't open your windows, which is completely untrue. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's true. What Alan said, it's like, I live in this solid, totally snug house, um, with gorgeous light and fresh air. I don't, ha- I never, I lived in a beautiful house before I moved into this, but it was like this constant source of anxiety. And I never worry about, I, I just don't worry about things falling apart because it's so beautifully built. Um, and yeah, I, I have to say there's like, there's not a draft to be had. I, you know, I, I cook the same way that I always have. I don't have any kind of hood and yet I can cook whatever I want. And I never, there's no lingering, you know, how you can cook, I don't know, fish or sausages or something like that in a normal house. And you, you know, you go away, come back and you can still smell it. It's just not the case with this because of that HRV constant air circulation. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I am, I'm just, I'm madly in love with living here. And, um, my, my heating bill is like 25, 20 bucks a month. Um, which is also pretty sweet because, you know, in the other, in the other house, it was like a thousand dollars every five weeks or something. (laughs) I don't know, but, um, yeah, I mean, I can, I'm, I'd love it if, if there's anything you want to ask me in particular, um, I no, think, that's great. It's yeah. great. You've had such a good experience with that. Um, yeah. I, have a, I, I guess I have a couple questions. Either you or Alan uh, can touch on this. So one of the things, um, sort of in terms of figuring out options, uh, one of the questions we get a lot in kind of higher end homes is around like radiant heat versus more of kind of a typical kind of pump system. Um, what uh, is that something that's frequently um, integrated into passive? homes or a passive house just because I it that seems kind of consistent in terms of the lower energy cost less pushing of air but yeah are, are those two things frequently um, connected together or no not generally and it's interesting because our typical foundation is a slab on grade foundation that's super insulated mm-hmm. and when I did my first one back like in 2007 I put in radiant heat in the floor because that's just what you do with a slab. You have to have, you have to heat it or it's going to be uncomfortable. But for, uh, I don't know, at least five years, the owners never turned it on. Mm. They had a little wood stove and they found that that was ample in, in Maine to keep the house warm. So it comes down to when you invest more in the building shell with the insulation, and better windows and doors and air sealing and all of that, you pretty much eliminate the need for a conventional heating system. And if you put in a, in a, like a radiant hydronic heating system, whether in slab or radiators is quite expensive. So there's no, there's like no payback. There's no, yeah. There's the same thing end up applying for. So we help people across the country, but we do do a lot of work in California um, where you're now required to basically have solar as of this year on new projects um, or I think it's, you have to be zero net energy. So do that however you want, but typically ends up being solar. Um, 
or whatever some um, type of similar system, PV system. Uh, does that mean that solar also has, does it make as much sense with passive house? Because again, your savings are just lower. Um, well, to some degree, yeah. But the cool thing is there are a bunch of amazing things about integrating renewables with passive house. One is that you bring your loads down so low that you don't need a giant system to make your house net zero. Right. You know, most of our house, like four, you know, four to six KW, which is a pretty reasonable price. It's the cheapest form of electricity you can get in most states in the country. And if you look at the payback, like on an annual, uh, like, like a monthly basis, you know, that's a whole other subject. Like you spend more on a passive house, you spend more on solar panels. But every month, if you look at your total cost of ownership between the money you borrowed to buy those solar panels or do the passive house, you end up ahead every month, right? Mm-hmm. So like the affordability question just kind of goes out the window. And the other really cool thing is that when we look at our grid, um, putting renewables into our grid is great, but it has some real limitations based on the fact that it's only sunny during the day and what happens at night. And when you have houses that like conventional houses with high, you know, standard loads, when the sun goes down, there's this thing called the duck curve, like the, the power plants have to ramp up to such a huge degree to cover the time when renewables stop, people come home from work, and they need all this energy. And if you're in a passive house, you're going to reduce that curve to a huge degree, because your heating system doesn't have to come on, your cooling system won't have to come on. And it will even out that duct curve and make the grid perform much better. So passive house is really the key to our non-fossil fuel electricity grid future. Makes sense. So let's, we were just talking about costs. Let's talk about costs. Um, This is a question that we get constantly. um, And I think partly because it's oftentimes hard to sort of get straight answers from manufacturers for very like understandable reasons, right? Because every site's different. Um, So with all those caveats though, we do try to be educational. So let's assume that um, you, your, your company in particular is very laudable for, uh, t- seems like at least in the main area, right? Like actually posting kind of estimated costs on your website, you know, with all the caveats they just mentioned around site and customization stuff. Let's say I'm building uh, a jail or a go home in, um, you know, let's say one of your bigger ones, right? Like one of your 2000 square foot homes in mm-hmm. the Boston area or, you know, um, like my parents live in Lexington, right? So, you know, kind of a sort of higher end suburb outside Boston. Um, if I'm like thinking, if I'm like trying to understand costs uh, and I understand you can only control some of this, do you think you can sort of help me break down costs in terms of, you know, I've already bought the land. I'm on a flat, uh, site that's accessible and doesn't have whatever crazy power lines in front of it. Um, what are the costs? Let's say, let's say a 2000 square foot house. Um, and I don't care if you want to give these in total costs or dollars per square foot of, you know, the shell and like design costs that I might incur if I work with, um, the go home or geologic, let's say the go home. And then at least in like the Boston area, I assume you probably do some work, what the sort of finishing the home in terms of like the local builder foundation, whatever, connect, connecting it, um, utilities, stitch, finishing the inside might run just so people can get an understanding of this with again, the caveats that every home's a little different. Sure. That's a really, 
great question and it is hard to answer, but I'll give you my best yeah, shot. Totally. And I can say with some degree of certainty what the house would cost if if Geologic did the whole thing as the general contractor. Mm-hmm. And the prices on our, our website, you know, we're looking at, oh, yeah, 2,000 square foot home is going to be, I think I can build that for $250 a square foot if I'm in control of everything and people don't go crazy with finishes. So that's, let's right. say 500,000. Will you, G, will you GC all the way down to Boston or it sounds like you didn't? No, we, we won't just because it gets too expensive to send. Totally people. understandable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we try to part and that's where it gets tricky because uh, I will provide the shell package, which right. is the walls, windows and doors, triple glaze, windows and doors from Germany, um, installed, air sealed, um, the whole structure. It's, it's watertight and airtight and ready for siding and roofing. That's what we provide. And we can do that for 125 a square foot. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, what does the so local in this case we're talking about 125 dollars a square foot? So yeah, right for it. that shell package. I got so, it. So then it's a question, and that's you know roughly half of the finished house cost, not including site work. No prices you ever see from builders will include site work because you don't know what you're getting into right. with any given site. So and that can range, you know totally flat site with utilities in the street, you can probably get away with maybe 25 grand for getting all that hooked up. But on a rural site with a quarter mile driveway and, um, you know, underground power for a thousand feet, yeah, that can cost a hundred grand. So there's a wide range there of site costs. Mm -hmm. So that gives you a sense of it. And then our design fee is typically um, for our pre-design model, about 5% of construction cost. So if it's a $500,000 house, we're going to charge 25000 for the design process, which is developing a site plan, going through all permitting and code research, a complete plan set with some degree of customizations and all the finishes and all the schedules. It's a construction document set that is more detailed than you typically get for residential. Will you do engineering for that as well? Or is that something the builder will do? No, we do full engineering. Yep. If we have to do civil, we can do that, but we always involve our structural engineer in every project. So it's all, it's all code ready and stamped and I, by an engineer. And then I, I have a feeling I know the answer to this um, because most answers are somewhat similar. Let's say I, I say, okay, I love your stuff. I want to build a custom home with you all on the GoLogic side. I assume that's also probably a percent of uh, the construction cost, but just curious about what I'd be looking at there. How the construction costs change? No, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. If I want to build a custom home with you, like sort of from the ground up, yeah. like oftentimes we see architects are in the like 15 to 20% range, something like that. Is that yeah. also true for you? Yeah, it's, we wouldn't generally go that high. Um, it would probably be more, you know, 12, 12% is usually a pretty nice fee. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, all right, perfect. And then let's see, let's see. Um, okay. So I want to transition now into our, uh, fire round. Um, the, uh, these are asking a bunch of sort of common questions we get all the time. And, uh, 
basically uh, either one of you can answer or both of you can answer. We try to keep the answers to under a minute, but um, I'm not I'm not too much of a stickler on it. So um, get ready for it. Uh, all right, first question. Um, so you obviously build in Maine. Um, what are the key things buyers should be aware about about building in cold weather or areas where there are snow, et cetera? Build a passive house, period. Okay. That definitely was under a minute. Um, any, <laughs> anything more to add to the criteria? Um, about building in cold climates, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just siting is important. We, you, there's free energy from the sun for passive solar heating. And our houses are not overly heated by passive solar and therefore uncomfortable. We've figured that out in architecture in the last 30 years, 40 years. So, but orienting the house toward the sun brings you a lot more light and some free energy. So do that if you can, not always possible. Um, you know, look at how you're going to manage snow and design your site so that that's not going to create problems. It's going to be easy to deal with. We typically specify metal roofs, which means the snow is going to slide off, which is a good thing, but you also want to look at sometimes keeping snow on the roof so it doesn't land on your walkway. And um, other than that, can you think of anything, Lily? Just, yeah, mm-hmm. build passive. Yeah, I, yeah, just build passive. I mean, my, I, I, it can be 20 degrees outside, and I, if it's, you know, when there's any kind of sun, it's 70 degrees and I don't ever turn the heat on. I mean, I'm, I don't feel it. it. It can be blasting wind out there and I'm snug as a bug. It's, it's the best. Um, okay. That's good to know. So let's say next question. So I want to, uh, I want to go build my dream home or my vacation home or whatever. And it's my dream to put a, a passive go home on it. Right. Uh, what is uh what should I be looking at in terms of uh, evaluating a site if I'm just starting to look for land, um, as like sort of part of my checklist? Uh, just because I right I imagine uh, incredibly incredible slopes make that more difficult, but it'd be great to understand if there's a couple things to specifically look for. Our homes can be built on any site, and it's just a matter of cost generally. So the least expensive site is one that has a nice flat area where the house and the driveway can be placed. And you have a septic system usually if you're on a rural site. So looking for some amount of flat land, say, you know, a half an acre is all you really need. Look at the length of the driveway to the road. Try to keep that as short as possible because that's just cost per foot. You want to make sure that the land either has municipal services or it's uh, been tested for septic um, viability. You want to look at whether it's rocky, um, which is not usually a, a problem, or if it's really wooded, forested, what sort of an opening would you be okay with making? Ideally, so you can get at least sunlight on the roof for for active solar if not sun in the windows on the south facade for passive solar and views and price and all of that go into the equation as well 
Got it. Um, and then final question um, of the fire round. So we talked a little bit about sort of building a builder network and how sort of, you know, you're doing that sort of slowly. Um, if I'm uh, building, if you don't have a, a local builder in the area that I'm looking at and I need to go out and sort of evaluate my own builder uh, to see, is this person going to be yeah capable of doing a really competent job? What are the things I should be looking for? Do, is panelized experience, experience necessary or what's what's sort of your checklist or criteria that you would recommend that I look at? It's really just someone who is a, a reputable builder who has done architect designed plans in the past, who reads plans, pay attention, pays attention to plans and follows them. That's that's really important. It's amazing how many builders out there sort of glance at plans and then do whatever they want. So um, the nice thing about our system is that we're providing all the tricky bits that have to do with the high performance in our shell package. And we have a few other things they have to pay attention to, but they're pretty minor. Um, and so it's really just a, a quality, reputable builder who is easy to work with and is open to the go-home concept. They're fine, and I'm finding this more and more, builders, as there are fewer skilled tradespeople in the industry, there are GCs around who are like, oh, you guys can do that big piece of it for me. That's great because I'll just focus on the stuff I like to do, like the finishes and the client interaction and whatever. Um, but I have gotten pushback from builders who say, oh, I can, I can do what they're doing cheaper. Let me do it all, which is always a disaster, I must say. Um, so it's a, it's a three-way uh, uh, relationship. The owner comes to us for what we do. They find a builder who is on board with the whole concept, and the three of us work together to produce the finished product. Perfect. Oh, and I realized I, I actually missed one question. Um, how, how many homes are you building a year, just to get a sense of scope? About 10, either you know from the ground up or shell packages. Got it. Cool. It's um, going to be then, less this year because of COVID-19, for sure. Um, it, yeah, we'll add one more. How, how's that affecting your business? I mean, we're just starting to see it here. Most of the California factories are closed in other parts of the country. It's, it's kind of weird from a public health standpoint in my personal um, aspirations, but <clears throat> construction seems to actually be going on. Um, how has it slowed for, for you all there? Well, we've, we've been dealing, it, dealing with it quite directly and proactively. A couple of weeks ago, we shut down our production facility mm. shop, and I'm not sure when we're going to reopen it. We developed guidelines for safe working on job sites, which basically means we're reducing the number of our people on job sites to essentially two working mm. On separate things, uh, a distance away from each other, we're scheduling subcontractors um, totally separate from each other. And often our people won't be on site if there's a big subcontractor crew there. Okay. So we're, we're kind of just limping along with the skeleton team to keep projects moving, but it's there are going to be some serious effects on the schedules. That makes sense. And do you, in, a, in Maine, you, a lot of the, we've actually done a few projects in the area. Um, a lot of the 
a lot of the communities have building windows, right? Like, you know, October to 15th to end of April, you can't do foundation stuff like that. Right. So you sort of have, have a deadline on some of the stuff, right? Well, yeah, it, there are going to be some projects that we have slated to start in the fall that I think are probably going to get bumped to next spring. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's sort of the world we live in. Well, it's good to hear you. You're trying, doing your best to keep everyone safe. Um, final question. And I ask <laughs> happier question. Um, I ask this to everyone on every podcast, more or less, uh, be great to have both of you answer. What are you most excited about for your company or the industry for the near future? Can I go first? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I guess I would say it's exciting that we're going to be growing, that we're, um, hopefully going to be breaking ground on a, um, on a shop, but also, we just keep thinking more and more about how we can be contributing to carbon sequestration um, and, and, and having a positive impact on, on climate change. Um, as the, as our team continues to grow, it's just a, it's a really good tight um, group of people that we love working together. I don't know. It's just, it's such a, I, I, I guess, yeah, I just I love working for this company. It's unlike any other, and um, yeah, I, I as you know, once we get over the the COVID thing, I just yeah, I I I, uh, I guess that's all I have to say. I lost my train of thought. Sorry, you can edit that out, Michael. Great, I like it. Very authentic. Um, and Alan, I'm really excited to take what we have now. We've built for the last ten years, which is this platform of the design, the engineering, the pre-designed plans, the go home and just produce a lot more of them in a more efficient way. I'm really excited about taking us to the next level of efficiency in prefabrication. You know, the building industry is like the last major industry to embrace high tech and, and leveraging digital technology into their industry. Um, and it's really quite amazing how archaically we build houses these days. It's not that much different than the Middle Ages. So taking what we do and producing it in a much more efficient and higher scale way is what I'm really focused on for the next phase of Geologic. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for joining. Um, thanks again, Alan and Lily. Uh, for more information about Geologic and the Go Home, visit uh, gologic.us or thegohome.us. And uh, as always, you can read about lots of companies and different stuff going on in the industry at uh, prefabreview.com. Thanks again, both of you. Thanks for having us, Michael. Michael.